A trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies. They're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership. And the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. I am so glad you could join me today. This is going to be a conversation to remember. I'm happy to welcome Kurt Mercadante back to the show. Now, Kurt is a lot of things. He is an author. He is a coach. He is a speaker and a trainer. And he, uh, Kurt, I'm, I'm, you're probably blushing as I tell you this, but uh, you, you have, uh, I think you've succeeded by most measures of how people would measure success. They could say, yep, that Kurt knows what he's doing. He has succeeded. And yet you have, uh, you have actually in many ways walked away from the big business that you built and are undergoing a journey of sorts. Fill in some of the blanks for us. Uh, when, when people ask you, so Kurt, what do you do? What is your answer? Yeah, I help individuals, businesses, and teams become more purposeful, have that sense of purpose in your life. You know, it's, it's over, kind of overused, but what is your why? But what's that guiding star that, that, that pulls you, not pushes you where you want to go? More productive and more prosperous. And the important thing is a lot of people think prosperous equals pro, um, uh, profitability. Well, that could be part of it. I used to make a lot more money than I do now. And yet I'm more prosperous than I've ever been. And part of that is realizing what's truly important, becoming truly free and what that means to me. Um, And, you know, we sold our home, most of our possessions last year and learning about some of the uh, external and entertainments and distractions that you become addicted to that leads into thinking prosperity is only profit. So you can buy a bunch of stuff you don't need, (laughs) you know? And, and so I become more profitable as I become less attached to things that didn't really provide fulfillment. I love that explanation. And, and, and believe it or not, I'm kind of undergoing a similar journey myself in that uh, uh, my family and I have just decided to relocate and it's going to require that we, uh, well, we relieve ourselves of a lot of the the possessions we've surrounded ourselves with. And, and you know what? I feel owned by my stuff. But I, I'm, I'm anticipating I'm going to have a sense of greater freedom on the other side. There's a lot of bad news that's coming at us every day. And I know a lot of people feel helpless. I, I get messages all the time from people. What do we do? What do we do? And Kurt, you have been one of the very consistent voices that I've encountered who has a, a message of positivity that's uh, missing fear. There's, there's no fear in your message. You're not telling me who I should be angry at. Um, you are encouraging a kind of uh, creativity and, and love for, for life, not just things, that, uh, that seems to give you great control of your life. Talk to us a little bit about your, your journey um, and, and how you came to, to, to take that step to where your success is not defined by you know, the square footage of your house or you know, wh- how much is in your bank account. Yeah. You know, about three and a half years ago, I woke up one morning, I had a seven figure PR and ad agency and I realized I'm done. Like right here and now I'm done. I was 60 pounds heavier and a cocktail of prescription drugs. I was unhealthy following all the things that you're supposed to follow. You know, I worked in public affairs. I worked in politics. Um, I was part of the swamp as, as it is referred to. And it does exist. And I started to realize I didn't like my life. I wasn't being as great of a father and a husband as I could be. And I wasn't being good to myself. 
And so I shut it down. I fired all my clients on that Tuesday. And I started over and, and I wanted to really work with individuals and business owners who really gave a darn about building and moving forward and raising their families. And right now, these are the people. I mean, I, I, I firmly believe that whether you want to call it fascism or communism, because at some point they mo both meet <laughs> on the edges, will not be enacted by government. It'll be enacted by corporations. I think we're seeing that. And so that move that I made three and a half years ago, I was thinking this weekend, thank goodness, thank goodness, because now I get to work with purposeful CEOs who aren't trying to conform to whatever wokeness is going on in the world, who want to move their business forward and take care of their employees. So I did a live training, a real live training with real people last Monday. It was wonderful. They were excited to do it. And I have relatives up north who still are, are basically coming out of the caves right now for a year of lockdown. And they think, I'm in Texas right now. We've been traveling through the country. They think we're piling up bodies, right? Neanderthal. And yet the data shows otherwise. And it's interesting. There are people here who get mad at those people. And there's people up there who get mad at us. We, we went hiking last weekend. And in the middle of the woods, there's people. No one around. And they're masked up. And my first inclination is, what the heck are they doing? And then I step back and I'm like, listen, I feel bad. I feel bad for what the fear mongers have put in their heads. And when you step back and have that kind of empathy, it's like, our, our, you know, our parents used to tell us, right, take a deep breath and count to 10. There are days when I am, I wake up angry. There's days when I'm, I'm so upset about the wave of authoritarianism and what people are doing to us and the conditioning. And I step back. I'm like, listen, I got four kids. I got a wife. I got myself. We have a little army here ourselves. And if I focus on building freedom and fulfillment for us, some people aren't going to like that. I just have to not care about it and just move forward. No, I think I think that is the healthier approach. And I want you to know, you've had a, a profound influence on my life. In that uh, I see your posts, I see I see you on social media, and the things that you share never are based in fear. They're never based in a you know an anger of I'm shaking my fist at this group or that person or this policy. It's more about uh, here's what I am doing today, and 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 you ask those who are viewing that social media, what are you doing today to unlock your own unhappiness to basically take charge of your own life. And, and I can't think of a more timely message for right now. The, the people with masks, my, my wife is a school teacher. And there's there's another teacher she works with who, when the mask mandates came out, she was very anti-mask and thinking, oh, don't tell me what to do. Months and months down the road, this good woman now says, you know what? I'm afraid to go out without my mask. It's almost like it's like Linus's security blanket from Peanuts. You know, uh, it, it makes her right. feel more comfortable and more secure to wear it. And, and I think that's the product of the conditioning we've been subjected to. You have extricated yourself from from that conditioning. And uh, I'd like to pick your brain and have you help me and my audience understand how we can do likewise. Well, you know, it, it, it is a daily challenge because, you know, there's a few there's a few pieces to this. I was always raised uh, or not maybe not raised this way, but my values as uh, you know, I, I'm a recovering Republican turned libertarian, probably leaning toward being an ANCAP at this point and not probably definitely. And, you know, it's always that. Listen, if a if the government tells me to do something and I don't agree with it. Right. Middle finger. 
Right? If a private business, though, says no shoes, no shirt, no service, it, I equate it to someone coming on my lawn and, and me saying, no, get off, right? Now it's a little bit different, right? Because if the collective consciousness is causing private businesses everywhere to group together on data that makes no sense or to come together in a cabal like we see some ma major CEOs doing, then where does that leave us? Because it's, it's private property rights and yet. And so, um, and then you see the alternative is, well, I'm not going to go there and I'm not going to shop there and I'm not going to bring my money there. Well, you know, we are, so, we are a family that really likes to travel. And one of the things that, you know, the daily challenge of, of getting upset is I may never be able to travel overseas because I'm not getting the vaccine. Now, some people may say that's selfish and you're dumb. And, okay, great. I don't let that upset me. I don't want to put something in my body, you know, uh, I, and, and what happens, you know, is, is the market going to respond? Is there going to be a, you know, is private airline travel and the Uber of airline, is the price going to come down? It, it remains to be seen, but it's that give and take of, listen, my inclination has always been to get the pitchfork. Like I've run for office. I've sued different places. You know, I was a very intense individual. And now it's like, where does that go? At what point do you fight? And at what point do you practice your Zen? And it's probably a fine line. Um, I haven't found it yet. It's something that I struggle with. But in the meantime, while I struggle with it, you know, comments like what well, you said, listen, I went off Twitter. I'm back on Twitter because people have said, listen, I missed your content there. I'm starting from scratch. I don't consume a lot. I try to create. And in creating, that helps me focus. Derek Lin, who's an incredible translation of the Tao Te Ching, he said, listen, if you're busy creating, you're too busy to feel sorry for yourself. Amen. And I love that quote. But think about this. When you operate from a, a standpoint of fear, fight, flight, or freeze response caused by cortisol, which is your stress hormone, coursing through your veins. Now, if, if you're walking down a dark alley and someone jumps out, right, you don't sit there with your creative brain and say, gee, I wonder what this person is thinking. I wonder what happened in their life to make them do this. No, your body as a survival mechanism is going to fight that person, run, or curl in the fetal position and get your butt kicked, right? Well, when we make decisions like that on an everyday basis, that's out of fear. The alternative is love. We, we, we could talk to you. I, I know we got to take a break here. Okay, we will take that break. Kurt Mercadante is my guest. I do have a link to his website in the show notes at thebrianhideshow.com. Stay with us. We'll be back right after this. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. I am visiting with Kurt Mercadante. And we are talking about some things that I hope are giving you a sense that maybe things aren't as out of control as you might have been led to believe. In fact, you know, chances are maybe I'm the one who led you to believe it's all out of control. Because heaven knows, I feel that way sometimes. <laughs> Kurt, you you are in, in the midst of, a, of an incredible journey with your family. One of the things I really appreciate that you do is you post some of the highlights. And, and some people will say, oh, so you're bragging on social media, showing how much better your life is. But the things you share are really kind of simple things. It's, uh, you know, the sound of running water in nature. 
and and maybe it's because that's that's something that that I need, but I recognize it as no, he gets it. Kurt is appreciating the good things that are out there that we tend to overlook when we're fixated on all the the little problems and and fads that are being fed to us, you know, from various media sources. Yeah, you know, it, it's it's helpful to hear that, and and sometimes I, I don't like posting stuff. I talk about myself. But, you know, there's a difference between like the, the fake sales guru who posts a picture in front of the rented house in Lamborghini and says it's their own. And really, they're driving an Uber on the side. Nothing wrong with driving an Uber, but, you know, they're full of it. And, and, and on one hand, so I'll post pictures of my, me and my kids hiking. And and I think therein lies part of the answer of what we were discussing before in terms of picking up the pitchfork and fighting. And there's people out there doing that that that, that are that are probably needed to do that. But then also those, and maybe this is the answer, maybe this is a therapy session for me, Brian, when I post those things and people see me being free, it is a pull. And, and before we came back online, you talked about a pull versus a push. Bob Berg, a great guy, by the way, you should have him on the show. I'll hook you guys up. But libertarian uh, author of the Go-Giver series, he's sold three million copies of his books. He says, when you define influence, he asks, how far can you push a rope? And the answer is not far. So he says influence is really a pull. So perhaps the answer is if, if and, and offline we were talking about individualism versus the collective. If you are a strong individual, not an egotist, not a hedonist, but a strong individual who lives your life with freedom, ethically in a loving manner, perhaps you will have such an effect on people who watch that you don't need to pick up the pitchfork. And when people see, it's like sometimes we'll walk into a, a store and we'll be like, um, you know, I won't name the store, but certain places have signs for masks, but they don't enforce it. And you walk in and you're feeling a little bit whatever. And then you see two or three other people look at you and they take off their mask. Oh, yeah. You, you know what I mean? I don't have to go in there and get a fight with everyone because I want to be polite to other people. However, when you show that you're not a conformist, that you're an individual and other people say, wait, there's nothing wrong with being an individual. I'm going to be an individual, too. Perhaps the be- that's the best way for us to fight against the conformity and the fear is to just live lives on our own terms, but do it in a loving, compassionate way. See, and that's that's exactly what I see you doing. And I think that's what makes your message resonate, because I, I want to show people it's OK to be free. It's OK to be different. It's OK for people to look at you like, what the heck are you doing? Everybody else is marching in this direction, but you're happily going your own way because this is where my happiness lies. And, and people, unfortunately, I, look, we all want approval and I love compliments as much as the next person. But there comes a point where if you're serious about really charting your own course, you've got to be willing to value that uh, that autonomy more than approval of the people around you. Did you have people push back when when you sold your business and, and when you took your family on the road? Were, were people questioning your sanity? Yeah, and they still are uh, in our own family. And, and it goes back, you know, we've been homeschooling for 15 years and for 15 years we've had it. And, you know, and it always follows the same playbook. And once you're aware of the playbook, it's the same with homeschooling vaccines and masks. It starts off with kind of like, oh, I'm going to ask some questions or really judgmental questions. <laughs> and then when they realize that, then they start quest- questioning your motivation. You're just a right wing whatever, you know. And, um, then they start talking about the safety of other people. Oh, well, what about your kids are going to be weird, right? Or, you know, you should do it for other people. You're just being selfish. And then when that doesn't work, they marginalize you. 
right? Oh, yeah. And so I'm convinced. Uh, you probably know Carrie McDonald, right? Uh, author well. of the unschooling. And I, I've, I've commented and I've told her, I guarantee, given the growth in homeschooling over the last year, and now they know the playbook, you will see over the next five years an unprecedented at the national level campaign against homeschoolers. You're going to see in the media homeschoolers show up as school shooters or, or shooters, mass shooters. You're going to start seeing these things. I can feel it because now they really see a threat given the millions of people now who aren't going to go back into the schools, but it's going to follow. Just be aware of it. That, that's a big thing. Randy Gage, who's great, writes about prosperity, says when you realize you're in the matrix, that's the first step. You can watch MSNBC or Fox News and realize these are his words, although they're accurate, that you're being subjected to a level of propaganda not seen since Goebbels. Wow. When you're aware of it, you can watch it and look at it and laugh. I do a lot of laughing and I laugh because I know there are people sitting there and they're in the matrix and they don't know what's going on. And when you realize that they're in the matrix and you're not, it can be frustrating. Why don't they see it? But then you can have some empathy in terms of, the only way that they're going to opt for the red pill is to see you living your life, not hurting other people. I tell people, you think my kids are weird? Go have a discussion with them. You think we're abusing our kids by homeschooling? Go have a discussion. Every time they have a discussion, they walk away. And I realize they know we're not harming our kids or right. society by doing it. So. <laughs> no, I, I think that is the by far more productive approach. And, and, and something that I found is when people take this approach that you're doing and what, what you're talking about, where you, you're, you fought the hardest battle. In other words, the person you had to convince of what the truth was was yourself. You don't yes. really have to prove it to other people. So the need to correct everybody, you know, around you, I, people who are actually living freedom and, and showing by example what a prosperous life is like. Don't feel the need to go and correct everybody else um, because it's easier to show it by example. And, and, and you do a marvelous job of this. So this is me thanking you publicly for setting the example. Talk to us about uh, where can people access your resources? I know you have a blog. You have a podcast. You, you do uh, uh, trainings. There, you're a very multifaceted individual. Talk to us a little bit about uh, how people can access you. Yeah, well, real easy. I started a blog about, I think, 60 days ago. I blog every day now. It's at Kurt's blog, C-U-R-T-S blog.com. Uh, you can find all my all my uh, other pieces there, Twitter. I have a Telegram group. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, something you quickly that you said was not having to correct people. I used to be that guy. I was, I thought, the smartest person. I had to correct everyone. Now that I'm not that way, oh, my gosh, I feel so embarrassed for who I used to be from now having people do it to me. And it's an incredible bit of self-awareness when you see that happening, when people absolutely losing their mind on me, man, it makes me feel good for making that change. And you really see what it looks like on the other side of the matrix. <laughs> and, and it feels very good when someone says, hey, this article you wrote or, or I, something I heard you say or something I saw you do actually has caused me to think differently than I did before. And you realize I didn't have to I didn't twist their arm. I didn't do anything to try to persuade them or otherwise heard them in a desired direction. I just, you know, I just showed by example this this is the happier way for me. And they figure it out for themselves. That's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, it does. And, and it makes me think twice when I want to share something or I want to, to get a look. Because, listen, I'm human. Everyone's human. There are things going on right now that make me so angry. And, but by getting angry, am I just preaching to the choir, you know, or am I, 
Uh, am I letting my anger get the best of me, getting other people in fear? And then that has the opposite effect. And then we have clashes like we've seen over the last year. Um, and, and that's not necessarily what we want to happen. Maybe at some point we have to grab the pitchforks, right? Um, I don't know when that is. <laughs> some would say it's now. It, it's something that I struggle with. Um, but maybe the best way to grab a pitchfork is to live your life by example. I think it was Leonard Reed who talked about, you'll know when you're hitting that sweet spot because people will start to seek you out. And that's, I think that's yes. a good way to know. Uh, Kurt, yeah, let's, again, right. the website where people can access uh, you and your works. Kurtzblog.com. Nice and easy. C-U-R-T-S blog.com. All right. Kurt Mercadante, we need to talk more often. So I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be hitting you up for future interviews because I just, I love your message. Thanks for hanging with me today. Thanks a lot, Brian. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. So I took a couple of days off last week, and I, I want you to know it was for a very good reason. It was, uh, it was actually to uh, do a little bit of networking and uh, got to travel, see some beautiful country up in the uh, central highlands of Idaho. Absolutely gorgeous. But it's so good to be back, and I just, I don't know. I don't want to sound like I'm gushing here, but I, I really love what I do, and I love being able to share uh, great guests like Kurt Mercadante, who was on in the last couple of segments, and, and some of the, the, the great content that I'm able to come across. It's, uh, I don't know if it's, if it's helping you, but it certainly is helping me, so at least there's one person here who's saying, this is so good to have access to this information. I just would encourage you, take the time to go to thebrianhideshow.com, click on the show notes for whatever day. I, I post show notes every day that I do a show, and you will find lots of content links to the articles and the guests that i talk about you'll also find a few annotations here and there if i have some relevant thoughts to offer and and there were two things i came across today this was this was on twitter but these are little bite-sized nuggets of wisdom that were so good i just i I wanted to pass them on to you because there's a lot of wisdom in in just a very power-packed concentrate here one is from uh, an individual zuby z-u-b-y he's a musician And he says, the older I get, the more I'm convinced the greatest form of activism is raising decent children. I'm working on that myself. I've got six kids. uh, uh, Three of them, well, four of them are are adults. Two of them are teenagers. But I I agree with him. You know, if you're going to get active, if you're going to get out there and, you know, change the world... Raise kids who are able to think clearly and independently, who are, are committed to being good people, solid character, using their influence as wisely as they can. Here's the other gem of wisdom. This is from T.K. Coleman from the Foundation for Economic Education. And, and I, ha- I need this reminder every so often, too, because I put a lot of content, content out there in the course of a week. And I have to re- be reminded that there are two types of content. One is stuff that matters a lot right now, but may or may not matter in a year. Okay, if you were talking about the Oscars last night, that could probably fall into that category. Number two, though, is stuff that isn't trending, but has actually been around for years and can teach you things that can improve your thinking for a lifetime. 
This is one of the reasons why I try to to go for the principles that are at stake more so than simply talking about the personalities that are involved. Um, and, and again, I don't always succeed, but it's important we don't let trends make us forget about the stuff that isn't trending, but nonetheless builds our ability to think and recognize truth wherever we encounter it. Speaking of which, the most courageous people I know at this point in time are the people who refuse to untether from reality. That's the ones who acknowledge and speak the truth in the face of politically correct thought enforcers. I mean, I, I've seen a couple of press conferences here in the last few weeks where uh, a, a policeman talking about a riot was corrected by the reporter. You can't call that a riot. Why, that's the that's a terrible racist thing to say. Okay, the reality is people were uh, rioting and looting and beating and burning and, you know, doing what rioters do. I saw this article from Annie Holmquist on intellectualtakeout.org. Courage is worth the risk. I think she's got a great slant on this. I took a chance on an imperfect pregnancy. That's the title of a New York Times article. And Annie Holmquist says, Intrigued, I read about author Jacqueline Carubo's journey through a fertility clinic where, after initial treatments, she and her husband were told that they had a mosaic embryo. Now, Carubo explains a mosaic embryo is one which could result in a perfectly normal baby, but it could also result in a baby with physical defects. Carubo agonized over this risk, but decided finally to go ahead with the embryo implantation, asking, who was I to make this life and death decision for another human being? Annie Holmquist says, I felt like cheering at her news. Despite her fears, this woman looked at the facts, valued her baby's life regardless of the possible imperfections, and went forward with the pregnancy. Now, her point is that such courage in the face of risk is rare these days. In fact, refusing risks is almost a virtue today. For we label our quest for risk-free perfection as caution or safety. But she says, if we're honest with ourselves, this can just be a nice way of disguising cowardice. Cowardice, C.S. Lewis's famous demon, Screwtape, explains in the Screwtape letters, is the only vice which is purely painful, horrible to anticipate, horrible to feel, horrible to remember. Fear, he notes, goes hand in hand with hate. And if one wants to cripple a person's love and kindness, or rather charity, they must first defeat his courage. She says, perhaps this is why we have so much hate today, because we've cast courage aside. Demonic forces do their utmost to stamp out courage because they realize the power of this virtue. Screwtape explains, for it awakes thousands of men from moral stupor. Instructing his nephew Wormwood, a junior tempter, Screwtape notes, quote, This indeed is probably one of the enemy, that he's referring to God there, one of the enemy's motives for creating a dangerous world, a world in which moral virtues really come to the point. He sees as well as you do that courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. A chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. End quote. Annie Holmquist says a simple look around demonstrates that courage is lacking sorely today. Just look at the case of Carubo and her mosaic embryo. She took a risk knowing that she might give birth to a child with potential physical defects, which could cause great pain and trouble. In contrast, many young women today won't even take the risks associated with having healthy children. 
arguing that little ones would hinder their careers or add to climate change problems. We want children to be perfect and convenient, and if they seem to be anything else, we quickly give up on them. But she says the matter of giving birth and raising children isn't the only arena in which we seek perfection and avoid risks like the plague. Take COVID, for example. We insist that it be eradicated completely before we take off our masks, emerge from our cubby holes, and live life normally again. COVID is dangerous, and health is paramount, we tell ourselves, so we can't take the risk. Or consider our insistence on politically correct speech and politically correct verdicts in highly politicized cases, like the recent Derek Chauvin trial. These must line up perfectly with the popular cultural narrative, for we know that anything less will result in canceling or riots in our highly contentious society. Thus, we ditch courage, shut our mouths, and turn a blind eye to facts, murmuring the acceptable woke platitudes to save our thick skins, or to save our own skins. Sorry, if they were thick, they wouldn't need saving, now would they? <laughs> she says, each of us can probably think of times in our life where we looked for perfection and cowered in the face of risk. It's easy to do. But in pondering Lewis's words, she says, I can't help wondering how much our lack of courage is at the root of the problems in today's society. If, as Lewis says through screw tape, fear and hatred go hand in hand, would a return of courage dissipate the vitriol in our world? I don't know if you spend as much time, you know, thinking about courage on a day to day basis, but I can promise you this, and I'm not saying this as a courageous individual. I get scared <laughs> a lot, but it takes courage to be willing to acknowledge and live truth. And yet, it's contagious. And I'm so grateful for the individuals around me who are courageous and who show by the power of their example that not only is it okay, but it is preferable to suffer a little bit for living truth than it is to turn your back on it and be comfortable knowing that uh, at least nobody's criticizing you. I'm not a masochist. I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't like pain. I don't thrive on it. But I'm, I'm certainly willing to suffer for my beliefs. And I'm going to suggest that uh, if you are willing to suffer for your beliefs, then they probably are beliefs worth having. Now, if you draw the line, I am not willing to suffer for my beliefs. Maybe it's time to question what uh, what those beliefs really are worth. Something to think about. I'll have a link to this in the show notes at the dot com. By the way, I'm going to just uh, drop this this little hint here, too. I, I love the idea that uh, we are all building our. Our, our intellectual uh, ammunition supply, right? We're, we're trying to, to have the philosophical ammo to be able to recognize truth, to sort fact, fact from fiction. Paul Rosenberg has been doing such a huge favor to anybody who is interested in becoming capable of thinking more clearly and more independently with his essays on logical fallacies. He has a marvelous essay on the fallacy of false equivalency. Just one more tool for your intellectual toolbox. I have a link to that in today's show notes at the Brian dot com. Um, I won't be sharing that in this broadcast, but I would encourage you take the time to go and check it out. And if you haven't done it already, please consider subscribing to the podcast. If you find that this is content that actually adds value to your life, I would ask you to take one more step and consider becoming a regular contributor so I can keep doing what I'm doing. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about the current decline in the public trust for the media and why that's a good thing. We'll be back in just a moment. 
This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome back to the show. Just a quick shout-out to my sponsors, MonticelloCollege.org, also HSLAmmo.com, and Pure-Light.com. I have links at the show notes at TheBrianHydeShow.com. You can check them out. Now, look, I know I spend a lot of time criticizing the media, and, and there was a time when it was kind of ironic because uh, what I was doing was actually much more part of mainstream media, even though it was talk radio, it was... You know, it was it was mass media. And yet I, I've had this distrust of media for a long time, going on 30 years since I started to realize, hey, these guys are these guys are fudging the facts. It used to be just a matter of annoyance, but I have watched with uh, incredulity as as they have doubled down time and again, especially over the last five to six years to where, um, you know, it, it's absolutely possible to. You know, be looking at uh, the noonday sun and the media saying there is no such thing. It's midnight out there. And, and with a straight face, they're, they're, they're not talking somewhere else in the world. They're just trying to tell me, don't believe your lying eyes. Believe us. So I have trust issues is what I'm saying, particularly with whatever is being broadcast by the uh, narrative managers out there, the big mass media, which uh, somehow always seems to toe this line that uh, coincides with what uh, the political class and, and their uh, most closely connected cronies seem to want us to believe. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, all they say is lies. I'm saying that there's enough truth omitted that uh, most people are very easily led to an incomplete or false conclusion. If you're serious about really knowing what's going on in the world, and I don't just mean, you know, the the daily tattler telling you about this celebrity and that celebrity, but if you really want to have a clear grasp of what's going on, it's on you and it's on me to be willing to do the hard digging and learn how to think like an expert and how to seek out people who haven't uh, attached whatever they're saying to an agenda. Yes, it takes extra work. But if you're serious about the truth, all I can tell you is it's worth it. Caitlin Johnstone, writing from Down Under, has a marvelous column about the mass media will never regain the public's trust. She says this year has marked the first time ever that trust in news media dropped below 50 percent in the United States. I didn't realize that that's continuing a trend of decline that apparently has been going on for years. Mass media punditry is divided on where to assign the blame for this plummet in public opinion of their work. Some blame it on Russia. Others blame it on Donald Trump. Others, like a recent Forbes article titled Restoring Public Trust in Technology and Media is Infrastructure Investment. They blame it on the Internet. Still others, like a Washington Post article earlier this month titled Bad News for Journalists. The public doesn't share our values. Blame it on the people themselves. She says the one thing they all seem to agree on is that it's definitely not because the billionaire controlled media are propaganda outlets which manipulate us constantly in conjunction with sociopathic government agencies to protect the oligarchic imperialist status quo upon which the members of the billionaire class have built their respective kingdoms. She's right, though. I don't see anything in there that I could disagree with. It can't possibly be because people sense they're being lied to and are fed up with it. She has a video linked in this article. And yes, I do have a link in today's show notes to this. Can you trust the media? 
and it gives a very solid explanation of how manufacturing consent takes place. Now, I understand if if people want to recoil from this and and maybe are hesitant, I don't know about that. That sounds like tinfoil hat territory. And, And I promise you, I understand this because I don't like to be wrong either. And I don't want to, I especially don't want to be wrong because I was duped. Right, because that makes me that makes me look foolish. It makes me look like some kind of a rube. Would it make you feel better if I just assured you we've all been duped, all of us at some level. All of us have been brainwashed, um, usually from a pretty young age, into believing things that were either incomplete or just factually weren't so. But at some point. We started to fight our way out of this swamp of misinformation And we're all at various places in that journey. Some people are just taking those first tentative steps out of the swamp. Other people have been on this journey for a long time and have thoughtfully left markers along the way for us to follow so that we can find our way free. If you haven't read Plato's Allegory of the Cave, might be a good time to delve into that because that that describes the process pretty well. Caitlin Johnstone says... And actually, it doesn't ultimately matter what mainstream pundits and reporters believe is the cause of the public's growing distrust with them, because there's nothing they can do to fix it anyway. She says the mass media will never regain the public's trust, and they'll never regain the public's trust for a couple of reasons. The first of which is because they'll never be able to become trustworthy. She says at no point will the mass media ever begin wowing the public with its journalistic integrity and causing people to reevaluate their opinion of mainstream news reporters. At no point will people's disdain for these outlets ever cease to be reinforced and confirmed by the manipulative and deceitful behaviors which caused that disdain in the first place. I guess another way to put it is a propaganda outlet will never be anything other than a propaganda outlet. A lot of half-awake people with one eye open and one eye closed will notice how the news media don't practice journalism and don't report the facts. And they'll assume that something went wrong at some point. Just do your job and report the news, they shout in frustration. Caitlin Johnston says, but nothing has gone wrong. And they are doing their jobs. In fact, they're doing their jobs extremely well. Telling the mass media to just do their jobs and, and report the news is like bursting into a shoe factory and yelling, just do your jobs and start manufacturing dentures. It's because their job is not to report the news. Their job is to manipulate public perception for the benefit of the media-owning class. And toward that end, they've been immensely successful. There's no point in admonishing the mainstream press for the public's plummeting trust in it. Because a thing that has only ever existed to administer propaganda can't suddenly become journalism. It's like yelling at a rock for not being a tree. She says the mass media are completely and utterly irredeemable and have always been. It's a waste of energy to try and get plutocratic propaganda institutions to suddenly begin doing journalism. That's not what they're for. Instead, our energy is better spent teaching people to stop seeing them as journalistic outlets. Okay, now here's where I'm going to pause and step away from her article for a moment. I get frustrated. In fact, no, I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it right out and put it on the table here and just put the cards down. Here you go. Boom. I get angry. I get furious sometimes at, at the way media misrepresents the truth. But rather than sit there and shake my fist at the sky and shout, you know, uh, you know, at them from afar. I have found great purpose in helping to create and to 
supply content for and bring other people aboard to supply content for platforms that offer an alternative. Now, granted, these are very small things. You know, you've heard of it or you wouldn't be hearing this, but most of the world really hasn't. So to that degree, I'm not seen as much of a threat. And that's okay. Because I'm convinced that there are people out there who are looking for truth, who value truth above just warm platitudes in their ears and, you know, the the reassurance that, hey, nothing's wrong. Everything's cool here. Come on, man. The Oscars took place last night. How could how could anything possibly be wrong? Well, we're building alternatives to those propaganda outlets. And there are some people out there who are still legitimate journalists. And I mean, legitimate in the sense that they are reporting things as factually as they can. They act as watchdogs. They don't care if it's a Republican or a Democrat who is, you know, caught with their hand in the cookie jar. They'll report the facts and let you and me make the decision what to, what we're supposed to, to think of it. I, I mentioned the name uh, Glenn Greenwald. I think this guy is is a shining star in in a, a sea of uh, you know otherwise unremarkable just parrots that are out there repeating the talking points like their their comrades to to keep us you know somewhat informed but not so informed that we actually would be able to do something about it. Glenn Greenwald, wow, he's the exception. John Stossel, Ben Swan, there are others. And I'm sorry, I, I, once I start naming them, I'm, I'm going to dig myself into a hole by not naming enough, but. If you will read what uh, what Glenn Greenwald is doing, if you will just examine some of the different points of view out there besides the mainstream big mass media, CNN, NBC, ABC, etc. You can find an awful lot of truth with which to to shape your worldview. And as you do it, you become a more credible source of information for the people who are looking for information. This is the beautiful thing. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to be like the, the uh, world champion of Jeopardy, walking around and able to just spout an answer, you know, not even in the form of a question, you know, to anything that comes up. But you do have to be able to ask the right questions to make sure that you're getting a complete picture of what's going on and not just being led, you know, by a ring in the nose towards some preordained conclusion. Caitlin Johnstone takes a pretty, uh, she takes a pretty harsh tone, but I like it. Sometimes I think we need that. The bottom line is the battle for your mind is real. Take it seriously. This is The Brian Hyde Show.